This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And some of y'all may know that I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, a town that takes its barbecue seriously. Well, this week I'm talking with a father and son who are as serious about barbecue as anyone in the South. Ed and Ryan Mitchell come from a very large family in Wilson, North Carolina, as well as a deep tradition of cooking whole hogs over wood-fired pits. Ed deserves credit for fueling a national obsession with barbecue in the early 2000s. And now he and his son are on a mission to cement the legacy of their town, their community, and their family. In addition to a new barbecue joint set to open in 2024, the duo have a new book out called Ed Mitchell's Barbecue that delves into the deep history and traditions behind a North Carolina art form. We'll talk about all that and their recipe for oddball carrot cake on this week's Biscuits and Jam. Ed and Ron Mitchell, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Glad to be here, man. I love the title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, I want to just start by saying congrats on the book. It's called Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, and it looks great. It's beautifully done. And this was clearly a labor of love. No doubt, man. No doubt. 100%, man. Labor of love. We inked this deal in 2016, man. So it took us seven years to get to get where we are. Get to this point. Wow. Long time coming. Long time. Yeah. Well, Ed, let me start with you as someone who's spent so much of his life on the craft of barbecue. What did it feel like to pick up the first copy of this book and hold it in your hands? Well, it was exciting. As I said before, it's been a long time coming. Been on a journey so long, then finally got to the end of the road and pick up a book and says, okay, here it is. So that was refreshing for me. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Well, Ryan, let me ask you something. There's a picture of you and your father on the cover in front of a big spread. What can you tell me about that picture and where it was taken? We took that picture uh, in the studio in Wilmington. We rented out a photographer crew, rented out an Airbnb down there that had some uh, essence to it of an old Southern, you know, bed and breakfast. And the spread is set to symbolize a traditional pig picking, a backyard barbecue spread. And it's kind of, uh, man, took us a long time to get you all of this stuff. And here it is. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the moment. Yeah. So we tried to cover everything in that photo. Well, it seems like a great symbol of everything that's in this book because there's so much in here, so many stories, so many great recipes. Yeah, yeah. Ed, this book is really about your life story, but it's also about the whole Mitchell family and everybody who contributed to your story. Why did you want to have so many different voices and perspectives in the book? Well, because it basically took all of them and all of us to get where I am. Everybody played their role and had a real good portion of whatever went down. For me, I am where I am because of their contributions. I wanted everyone to know about that. Well, Ed, who are some of the people just off the top of your head that contributed to the book? I tell everybody that I'm the lead singer of the group, but I got 
three other backup singers, and that's my brothers and my mom. They knew exactly how to do the art of cooking whole hog barbecue and what needs to be done and techniques that need to be done. And so I wanted all that to be shown. Well, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about growing up in Wilson, North Carolina. It seems like almost everyone there is a cousin of yours. <laughs> well, well, probably so to some degree. <laughs> I was born in a very large family. His grandfather, my great-grandfather, had 35 children, right? <laughs> I always like to set the stage with that. My great-grandfather had 35 kids. My grandmother, Doretha Mitchell, was at the latter end of that. I think she was like number 34, three. And then the 35 went on the average about 14 or 15. So certainly <laughs> it took some ingenuity, man, getting through there. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> A lot of mouths to feed. Yeah, and it had to be careful about who you date so you wouldn't be dating your relatives. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, so a lot of this story centers on a grocery store called Mitchell's Supermarket that was run by your parents. That's correct. Mom and Pop Grocery Store. I'm wondering if you can paint a picture of that market for me and tell me what it meant to the community. Well, my father and mother were pillars in the community. They bought a little small building and converted it to a mom-and-pop grocery store. It wasn't a huge store, just a little small store with penny candy and a few canned items and a few fresh meats. And it became to be a staple for the community. And they loved that because they would love to get up in the morning and get out there about four, by five o'clock in the morning and open up the store to catch the kids when they get on the school buses and so forth. So that was a real treat to them. Everybody knew my parents. And they knew that they would be down there opening that grocery store. And so it symbolizes everything that we stood for at the Mitchells. A lot of times my dad did the work in the back on the meat counter. And my mother worked at cash register in the storefront. They had a good little team going with that. Ryan, what are your memories of that market as a kid? You used to work there, right? Yeah, man. I lived with my grandparents during that time. My grandfather retired from the ABC store right around 84, 85. And their retirement was going into business for themselves. So they bought that little grocery store there in the mid 80s. And that was my playground, man. That was where I learned how to sweep the floors and just do anything my granddad was doing. I just kind of wanted to do it. They would take the old Pepsi Cola crates and turn it upside down. And I would stand on top of that thing and learn how to run the cash register <laughs> full of every kind of penny candy and every kind of sweet you can name. So I had my share of honey buns and moon pies and ice creams and jungle juices. My favorite part was going with my granddad to buy the stock. We just bought the stock for the store from a wholesaler that was right up street. And you could just pick out everything that we needed and stock the store. So being able to hop on the back of the truck and ride with him to go do that, man, that was the best. <laughs> and I would just sit there after school and eat. And then I would get on my bike, head on across the highway, play with my friends all day and then come back. So it was that early introduction of family and entrepreneurship all at the same time that I remember the most. But it was a playground and a school all in one. Ryan, what are some of the first things that you learned about the barbecue business? The hard work, you know, 
By the time I hit eighth, ninth grade, man, we had turned over into a full-time commercial barbecue place at that time from a mom-and-pop grill. And we were just figuring out how to be in the business and all the hard work that it took. I mean, we had a lot of elders that worked with us that were kind of teaching the craft. And so it was like a history lesson to me. And it was fun at the same time because I got a chance to be around a lot of the old guys, you know, and uh, and get some wisdom from not just my dad and my uncles, but a lot of the elder guys in the neighborhood because they were in charge of cooking the barbecue. I would just be out there absorbing all of that stuff. The smokehouse was not a fun place for me as a kid. I did it because I had to. That's how my dad made me earn my little sneaker money for my Jordans and my shoes and clothes and dates and stuff. I got baptized in the smoke very early and it took me a while to develop a love for it, but it was a chore growing up as a kid. So I had to figure out how long and what I wanted to do with it, you know. Now, Ryan, your folks separated when you were really young and you moved to D.C. with your mom for a while. And then you ended up moving back to Wilson. Yeah. What was motivating you? At that time, I moved to D.C. It was the real D.C. back then. I mean, it was a lot of stuff going on from the streets to all sorts of trouble to get into. But I enjoyed the culture. My mother was working for the Department of Social Services at the time. So she was introducing me to all the museums and the culture and just different educational things in life. My sister was had just graduated from Howard University. But I was missing home. I was missing being around the guys, my mother, she's an amazing woman because she realized that at the end of the day, my dad was going to have the bigger hand on developing my life at that point in time. She made some sacrifices to let me come back home to where I wanted to be with him and my grandparents. My granddad was going through some health ailments at that time, so I really wanted to be home. Sports was starting to really pick up for me, football especially, and so I got tired of Missing my summers, I wanted to be in a place where I could continue to play ball and do some of the things I wanted to do. And the Southern Comfort gave me that safe space, you know, but I wouldn't trade it because I got so much exposure to just so many different types of motivation in life and so many different lifestyles. The city provides one way of survival and the South provides a totally different way of survival. I just needed that stern hand that dads give, man. You can't really do without that as a young man. I wanted my son back. I wanted him home with me. His mother and I had a good relationship, even though it didn't work out in the beginning. She was very supportive of me wanting to have Ryan back in my arena because I felt that he needed to be back with me. And so that worked out real well. Well, and he had a pretty unique perspective on the world, having spent all that time in D.C., and then to come back and and see Wilson with different eyes must have really been something. Truly was. Well, Ed, you talk in the book about how barbecue was synonymous with celebrations, and you had this unbelievably large family. What did some of those celebrations look like? Well... (laughs) They were good times by having parties, what they call get-togethers. Family members get together and have a little get-together party. And all different kinds of people would come because I had uncles also that was excellent moonshiners. And so (laughs) (laughs) they would be able to come. 
and hook up with us and somebody will make a good batch of moonshine and we have some barbecue going and family members get together, have these house parties. And so it was a lot of good times, a lot of good times. After the break, I'll talk more with Ed and Ryan Mitchell about their family, their traditions, and their new cookbook. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with legendary pitmaster Ed Mitchell and his son, partner, and co-author, Ryan. Ed, I want to ask you a little bit about your mother. A lot of this book is about the male cooks in the family, but tell me about your mom and what she taught you about cooking. Well, the fact that I'm at it, the true pitmaster was my mother. I mean, she was the cook. She could do it all. So I've learned a great deal from her. Now, the funny thing about that is that I didn't really enjoy cooking because I always thought that was like a girl's job, you know, but my mom insists on teaching me how to cook different things. And so I had to do what she said do when it comes to preparing different types of side dishes that she taught. She handed down to me different recipes. But the barbecue skills came from my father's side and my grandfather and uncle's side. I would always love to hang around those guys because that would sort of instill that I was being a part of manhood. I was coming up with a firm hand of being around men. And plus, even though a lot of my family members partake in drinking. There was no drinking around the women folks. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We would have our little get-together. The men would. My uncle was a fantastic guitar player, so we would play the guitar, and they would pass around the moonshine to see who had the best batch that year. I really enjoyed that part of the structure of my life, but I didn't realize that I was fortunate enough that I learned all the techniques of cooking these things that was needed for the barbecue, like the collard greens, the potatoes, and the yams, and coleslaw, and mac and cheese. And I learned all that stuff, but I got that from my mom. The good part about that is that one time 
began to move about, I learned to incorporate the size along with the meats. And so I never forget, unfortunately, when my father passed and I was stepped into the gap and I was cooking a meal for my mom and she wanted some barbecue and she wanted to cook some greens and I prepared that particular late lunch. And that's when we got stumbled upon the fact that all the Roman was in the air in the community when they smelled the barbecue cooking. And so when they began to come to the grocery store, they found out that we were cooking it. I'll never forget it when the guy came in to buy something, a couple of hot dogs or something. And he looked over there and saw we had the barbecue. So he says, oh, Miss Mitchell, y'all got barbecue again? And so my mother looked at me and I nodded my head. Yeah, we got some. Go and sell him some, you know. But that's how we got started. As I began to cook it and sell it to the community, it began to spread. And my mother said one thing that stuck to me that really is a foundation of where we are today. She looked at me and pointed her finger at me and says, you start cooking this barbecue and cooking these greens like I taught you how to do, you'll be surprised how much you're going to be successful with this. And lo and behold, there it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was right about that. You know, there's a great line in the book, Zella Palmer, who helped y'all write this book, calls her the nucleus, the conductor, and the oracle of the family. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So she could see the future. Yes, she nailed it right. Yes, she did. (laughs) Yes, she did. Ryan, when you think about your grandmother, uh, what are the recipes that really stand out the most? Oh, man. I'll start in the dessert section. It's going to be the carrot cake. My earliest memories of all the amazing things she made started before we got into the barbecue business. And that's kind of how some of the seafood items made its way into the book. My grandfather was a huge fisherman. My early childhood days, we would get down to the river and get out to the pier, go fishing, and we would bring fish back. And my grandmother would clean the fish, cook them up, fry them, and make salmon croquettes and fried fish and shrimp and um, cornbread. My love for seafood started right then. And then we move over to the chocolate cake and the carrot cakes. I would finish it off with desserts, man. (laughs) And she never poured a bunch of sugar on. She would have these preserves in the refrigerator, old mason jars of peaches, pears, carrots, squash, apple. And she would stew that stuff down and she would use those serums as like sweeteners. She made almost everything from scratch. Almost everything from her and her church friends' gardens. That was very special for me as a kid. You didn't have to label anything organic. Right. It was all coming (laughs) from somebody's house garden or something. How do you pronounce her name? Doretha. Doretha. So there is a great recipe in the book for that carrot cake, and it's called the oddball carrot cake. Yeah, yeah. What makes it oddball? Well, in Southern Black church culture, we feed the congregation after church is over on multiple Sundays. And so it's not a competition, but it is a competition. The mothers of the church, the elders of the church take their dishes very serious, right? So they all compete with who has the best this, that, and the third. And so my grandmother's cakes and her desserts were always the most sought after thing after church service. And the way she made her cakes stand out well, she used yellow icing on her carrot cake, right? And so that's how the pastor and his VIPs knew, okay, when you get in line, you're going to sneak over there to that cake with the yellow icing. That's Mother Mitchell's cake. 
They call it the eyeball carrot cake because it stood out with the yellow icing. Nobody was using colored icing on their carrot cakes. She would do little things like that to kind of signature her dishes. It was very intentional. Yeah, very intentional. Very, very. Uh, <laughs> so her and Zella came up with that little phrase because she always calls herself the oddball, right? And so Zella was like, well, this is going to be the oddball carrot cake. <laughs> you know, Ryan, you had a successful career in finance as an investment banker before returning to the family business. Did your grandmother have something to do with that, getting you on that track? I would say so, yeah. My grandmother, she didn't necessarily want me cooking for her. We got into the restaurant business from trauma, out of pain, out of place of therapy almost. And her memories of cooking on plantations and cleaning homes in those environments where she didn't want to be cooking and cleaning homes, that kind of stuck with her. But she fought through all that to create a business out of it, right? But she didn't necessarily want that to be my path, because for her and a lot of the elders back then, being able to present your children and your grandchildren as being like the educated next level of you and your family meant a lot to them. I mean, she would dress me up in these little suits and stuff as a kid and parade me around church. And I had to memorize a bunch of these Bible verses and display wisdom and education. And that was a big thing for the elders back then, right? So as I got older, she just wanted me to keep on educating myself. She always wanted me to be involved in the family business, but not necessarily from a sense of me getting out there and doing all the other hard stuff that she thought wasn't going to be best for me. We urged him to go off to college. That's one of the things. Yeah, urging me to get off to college the same way she did for my dad growing up as well. But pursuing education was something that meant a lot to her, meant a lot to my family. So I took that route and it was something I needed to do as well. You know, speaking of education, when it came to the world of barbecue and the power of barbecue, y'all started going to New York City for the Big Apple Barbecue, which was a huge barbecue celebration in the middle of that city and really started to bring a lot more attention to the art of barbecue. What was that experience like for y'all? Well, it was huge for me because I had an opportunity to showcase my skills. And because I found out that I was the big dog in the crowd as far as cooking barbecue was concerned. Everybody would come to me for advice on how to do this and how to do that. And so whenever John T. Edge... From the Southern Foodways Alliance. Yes, yes, from Southern Foodway Alliance. He hooked up with, I can't call his name now. Danny Myers. Danny Myers, right. When they wanted to bring barbecue to New York, the first thing they say, well, we got to bring Ed Mitchell. We got to bring someone that really is the real deal. And so I was tagged as the showman that would go up and show everybody how to cook barbecue, especially cook whole hog. And people from New York began to understand the real deal on barbecue and who cooks it, how it's done, and what it's made of. Yeah, we showed up what, with like six to 10 old rusty barrels. And we set up a display and everybody else was showing up in $100,000 contraptions or smokers. <laughs> yeah. So I always say New York was the psychological game changer for me as a young man because 
it was the first time I got to see people who I thought were from another planet really appreciate our craft. People from every culture of life was looking at what we were doing in such amazement that it was mind-blowing for me as a young man because we grew up in the South and we grew up with these skills being cool, but they weren't thought to be some game-changing, life-changing skills and opportunities. Everybody up and down the street can cook barbecue pretty well in the South. But when you get to New York and you have people assigning a value to the craft, that was like, oh, wow, like, hold up. You know, like, to me, it's just some barrels and charcoal and fire and cooking the pig. But to them, it is rock star status. It was the first time that a chef or a pit master was able to get into the lane of being a rock star celebrity style of chef. Usually that had been reserved for the emeralds and the five-star chefs and big names in the business. And so New York kind of anointed the pit master a lane to get some recognition for the craft. And so it totally changed my outlook on what we were trying to do and the heritage on what we were doing. Yeah. You know, speaking of just being true to who you are and recognizing the heritage of where you came from, Ed, you're really known for wearing overalls every day. Tell me about why that has meaning for you. Well, this really is a tribute to my grandfather. This is the outfit that he wore. He really was a farmer. And he always wore his bib overalls whenever he would cook barbecue, slaughters animals, or just wear around the farm. That symbolizes that here's the guy that's in charge and knows what he's doing. So when I began to wear them, I just imagined him being there with me because the respect that he had gained from his peers. And so when I began to wear these and teach what he has shown me how to do, what to do, then people began to realize, okay, he didn't know what he's doing now because his grandfather really had anointed him, boy. He know what he's doing. And so that was why I wear them because when I walk up to a barbecue cooker, first thing I do is examine the particulars about the craft, the wood, the charcoal, and everything that goes along with it, and you get dirty behind it. So I have to wear this because I do get dirty when I do it. And so that's when people realize, okay, you got to be able to, <laughs> you got to look the part. There's a practical reason for yeah, it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that really what goes on with that. Well, listen, one of my favorite things in this book is the barbecue playlist that y'all have in the last few pages. There's this list of all this great music and there's people like Lead Belly and Carolina Chocolate Drops and Curtis Mayfield and Bill Withers. Ed, tell me a little bit about how music and barbecue go together for you. Well, you know, cooking barbecue and playing good music is just a good harmony. It's a good feeling. And so it doesn't make any difference to me if it has a good beat to it. I like to hear it while I'm cooking barbecue because it takes my mind off a lot of things and just relax and just do my thing, so to say. So it's just it's just a fun time, you know, it's just a good thing. Ryan, I know that y'all have some plans for a new restaurant and a lot of your fans are going to be excited about that. Yeah. Anything you can share on that front? Yeah, man, we're moving closer and closer. We look to have a grand opening in spring of 2024. The restaurants are going to be located in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's called The Preserve. 
preserve is just kind of our play on words of we're preserving the art of cooking whole hog barbecue, preserving the art of family business. We got some pretty cool partnerships there in Raleigh with another local hospitality family, the Mashankas family. So we're going to create hopefully one of the best barbecue places in the country, man. And we don't look to cut any corners. We'll be able to have some live barbecue pits and give some renditions of how we've really started the craft and got into the business. Full service, good moonshine, bourbons, and just an area to relax and enjoy. I want people to be able to come there, even if they're not even hungry, but just hang out <laughs> and just absorb the atmosphere. We're going to have a nice outdoor patio and a place to even just conversate about barbecue or learn about the history of it, too. Well, it's a great name, and of course, y'all are going to have to bring some music in there, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah we got a little live music stage in there set in the corner, too, so that's going to be a really, really unique setting. Well, I just have one more question for y'all, and I'll start with you, Ryan. What does it mean to you to be Southern? It means everything, man. It means hospitality. It also means we give the seasoning to the world, you know? So growing up, it wasn't always fashionable to be considered Southern because we were often thought of as a little bit behind civilization, so to say, but Southern is survival. Southern is tenacity. We've seen and lived through a lot of different phases of this country and especially for my culture, man. So to be able to survive and still push forward and find light in all the things that are going on and still be meaningful. It means a lot to me. So I wouldn't trade it. Ed, what about you? Well, I was born and raised in the South, and that's just who I am. What you see is what you get, is what I tell people. Nothing fancy about old Ed. I'm true and blue. I try to keep it as simple as I can and try to be as straight as I can, and I just like good people. It don't make a difference who you are. So that's what makes the Southern part for me. Well, Ed and Ryan Mitchell, congrats on the book and congrats on the restaurant. And thanks for being on Biscuits and Jam. Thank you so much, man. It was an honor. I love that title, Biscuits and Jam, buddy. That might be on the menu, man. (laughs) I hope so. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ed and Ryan Mitchell. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join us next week for my conversation with Lucas Nelson, a country rocker with a famous dad who's busy making a name for himself. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.